Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. If Shelly is somehow in that basement, we have to find out. That 4 a.m. was wheelbarrowing soil from that house to somewhere else right after we had got in there and taken a ton of photos. Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a podcast dedicated to spreading awareness about issues that usually get swept under the rug. This episode is brought to you by Wearable Therapy by Toki. Today, in part eight of Finding Shelley DeRoche, Carla and private investigator Chris Williams enter potentially dangerous situations as they visit two houses where Shelley's body was rumored to be buried, and things took a frightening turn from there. We'll also speak with some of the people who have been named as possibly being involved with Shelley's disappearance. You may be wondering, why did we suspect Shelley's body could have been hidden at one of these houses? How did we gain access to the inside? And how did we develop our current list of suspicious people? Those questions will be answered today. Shelley DeRoche went missing from London, Ontario, Canada in January of 2016. She hasn't been seen since. To hear the full story, you can go back to part one of this series. When we left you last time, Carla and Chris had just made their first visit to London together. After speaking to people in the neighborhood where Shelley frequented and was last seen, we had three possible theories for what happened to Shelley. Number one, a date gone wrong with a bad John. Number two, she was killed by a drug dealer. Number three, a sudden death or overdose and the body was hidden to avoid unwanted police attention. Now, at this point at least, it's impossible to know the truth. We can only go by what we've been told. And what we've been told lines up with scenario number three, that Shelley's body was hidden either because she overdosed or perhaps she was killed. Our snooping seems to have caused some unrest in the neighborhood, particularly among the individuals who we were told may know something about or be involved with Shelley's disappearance. Note that due to the sensitive nature of this case, we must conceal the identities of people who are helping us and also potential suspects. We'll be omitting any specifics that may identify them, censoring names and disguising voices, but striving to tell the story in the best way possible. Rest assured, we know exactly who these people are. All recorded interviews and phone calls were done with the other party's consent and they were aware at all times about the recordings and what they are being used for. After spending some time on the London streets and visiting crack houses, we met a few people who have been helping us ever since, guiding us around the community, providing updates on things they've heard or seen, and telling us about potential suspects. Once we talked to a number of people, we started hearing some common names over and over again. The first one we were led to was a woman who Chris speaks with now. We'll call her woman number one. 
so you you knew Shelly. You, you guys used to hang. Well, yeah, we used to hang together. Um, we used to get high together. We used to do dates together. And I don't understand why peace is just letting this go. What do you think happened? So many people said different things. I don't know what happened. I knew I carry a knife. And when I get high, I'd be thinking in the back of my mind someone's going to hurt me. What do you want to see happen? I mean, we're here, we're, we're trying to talk, we're trying to find out what happened. Do you think it was a bad date? Do you think it was a dealer? What do you think it was that, that took Shelly away from here? I don't know what it was, but I, I hear so many different stories, especially told me one time, I'm going to tell you this, he told me one time that um, we were getting high together, he said, you know, I, I had a drink that I killed Shelly and put it on my basement. I've never been back to his house since. What kind of condition was he in? Was he doing that to scare you, or did you, did you believe it? I believed it. Did they take a statement? They didn't do fuck all. They took a statement from me, and they didn't do fuck all, because I talked to about it, and said their police never came to me. They really don't care about Shelly, and that's my own feeling. So woman number one gave us the name that was censored, who we'll call man number one, who told her that he dreamt of killing Shelly and hiding the body in his basement. We tried visiting him at that home multiple times. I've been here four times and never, nobody's out. And so I'm feeling a little bit nervous going up to the door. I'm not looking through the window. It's all just coat rock in front of it. Yeah, I don't definitely. There's no way to look in anywhere. Everything is, everything is covered with sheets. Everything. Nobody's kind of opened their doors. If there's a neighbor, I'd ask them. But a lot of the neighbors do have surveillance cameras here for probably very obvious reasons. So after repeated attempts to speak with man number one, we were unsuccessful. But that's not the last time you'll hear about him. While we were near man number one's house, we met woman number two, who eventually met up with Carla and Chris and told us some worrying memories involving this house. We'll explain the story afterwards, but first, take a listen to woman number two. I have nothing to do with what's happened. I was there two years ago on New Year's night. I was there. was there. Shelly was in the front room in the red coat. I left. Only person I know that was still there was and And have you ever been in basement? Well, it's such a dungeon. No. Have the police ever talked to you? About the party New Year's Eve? Yes. No, but I'm going on my gut feeling. I can feel it. Did you ever talk to the police about this? And I'm not going to. And I don't know anything. You heard a condensed version of the conversation, but evidently woman number two was distressed and scared, and we had trouble understanding as well. She began talking about a New Year's Eve party two years ago, days before Shelly was supposedly last seen. She says the party took place at man number one's house, along with a new suspect who we'll call man number two, and woman number one was there as well. The basement, she says, is a dungeon but hasn't been in, is the basement of that house. So these four people, and Shelly, are placed at the New Year's Eve party, December 31st, 2015. 
Woman number two made reference to dungeons and basements several times and said she believes Shelley is still alive and being held as some sort of sex slave, possibly even having given birth to a child. She is still alive, and she is either in that basement or that one in a shower gym. Did Shelley kind of get on their bad side, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, okay. When you first heard about it, did you know something was wrong? Well, yeah. Because a lot of high, um, high-end big shots disappeared. But Have you seen around lately? Uh, six months ago. I haven't seen him since he disappeared. That's man number two they were referring to as having not been around much after Shelley's disappearance. After woman number two departs from Carla and Chris, they discuss the new information. She feels like she's taken a huge risk to tell us this. So there could be some element of truth. Why would somebody do that? It doesn't make any sense. Unless it's like a weird fetish or something. I don't know. But what would she gain by telling us this? Like nothing. Like there's no possible gain. But it's not the first time you heard the balls. I don't know. I don't think she's alive. There's no question. I mean, what we have, we keep, it keeps going back to Yeah. That's man number one, whose name we've heard many times. So Carla and Chris are skeptical of the sex slave in a dungeon story, but wonder what, if any, of the information is true. Woman number two was obviously distressed, and the New Year's Eve party gives plenty of reason for suspicion. You may remember Shelley was supposedly last seen on either January 2nd or 5th, 2016, which would mean she was alive after such party. However, there was some confusion around those dates. London police changed their missing person report multiple times, eventually settling on January 2nd. Plus, Shelley's sister Laura, who we spoke with earlier in the series, said she didn't hear from Shelley after New Year's Eve. So it's within the realm of possibility that Shelley wasn't seen on January 2nd. It's even possible that if something did happen on New Year's Eve, somebody involved could have reported seeing her on the 2nd, just as a cover-up. We really don't know, but anything's possible. Was woman number two at the New Year's Eve party where something bad happened to Shelley but is afraid to tell the truth? Through speaking with a number of sources, we repeatedly heard that man number one and man number two could be involved. We were determined to find out. In addition to the rumor that Shelley's body could be buried or hidden in man number one's basement, we also heard about two more residences that could be checked. Hiding a body in a basement may not make much sense until you realize that these people don't have vehicles. They're drug addicts with almost no money. So if something were to happen, the quickest and simplest option, or maybe their only option, could be to hide the body somewhere close, like a basement. We did manage to get access to these other two houses. For safety reasons, we can't say how, but in case you were wondering, we didn't break in or trespass. Although we had permission to be inside, there was potential for trouble if the wrong person showed up. We did take recordings of our time in the basements, but can't share much of it in order to protect those who were with us. Carla was able to walk us through what the experience was like. Really nerve-wracking. I was going into a place that really the community didn't want me to go into. So I was nervous. And in some points, I couldn't even describe the situation or the environment because I was so scared and worried who could come down the stairs at any time because there's no power down there. So when you go down, it's a very small 
space. It smelled of urine and feces and we had to have flashlights. We didn't really have, we just had like phone flashlights at that time. I mean, I didn't even really know the person that had got us into that house. I didn't know how they were connected. I didn't know if somehow they were going to turn around and, and like lock us in that. I, I had no idea. Probably when I look back, it wasn't the smartest decision. I couldn't help myself because I thought the only way we're going to figure what happened to Shelly is I have to put myself in maybe uncomfortable situations because the whole, the whole entire investigation is uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not a journalist. I don't have any broadcasting experience. I don't have any investigation experience. I come from the business world. I mean, this is all new territory to me. So in some ways, and I think, Jill, you and I have talked about this, is that I'm so naive that maybe that's why I'm able to make progress. The basement of house number two was eerie, a mess. And we even found a couple of pieces of women's clothing, tattered and covered in dirt from the basement's ground floor. Next, we were able to visit house number three. This is where woman number one lives. However, since these are multi-unit homes, multiple people have access to the basement. Man number two also used to live here. The basement door was nailed shut, so we had to actually pull nails out. The stairs are all falling apart to get down to this area. This time, you know, at least I had some flashlights and I'd come back a little prepared so at least I could see where we were walking. But what we were looking at is a crawl space area that's probably three feet deep. And we had to crawl into this really small space, super small space. And it smelled horrible. It smelled once again of urine and, and really did not smell good. And we were worried about, you know, needles that could be down there and different things. So, you know, you had to be kind of aware of where you were stepping and what you were doing. And we had to kind of crawl into this area and kind of push through some mud to see where this new mound of mud was put. And it, and it looked about the size of a body. Like it looked just like almost like a mound of soil, the size of a body. And above it is a trap door to an apartment, to the tenant that lives above that. That tenant is woman number one. Could the rumors really be true? Was it possible Shelley's body could be hidden here? Is it possible the group of people at the New Year's Eve party had something to do with Shelley's disappearance or knew what happened? There are so many rumors and we spoke with so many people, it's hard to figure out what may be rooted in truth and what's simply made up or hearsay. While we couldn't confirm if Shelley's body was hidden at either of those houses, something bizarre happened not long after we visited. According to one of our sources, a couple of nights later, woman number one and a man, potentially man number one or number two, we couldn't confirm, were seen in the street with a wheelbarrow around four in the morning. We had seen the mound of soil underneath the basement has access to that big soil mound. Um, she has a trap door out of her apartment. And so 4 a.m., her and this other guy, which could have been were moving soil right after we had got in there and taken a ton of photos. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. And if you think all this is shocking, just wait till you hear what happens next. Stand Up Speak Up's Finding Shelley DeRoche, Part 8, returns in a minute. 
Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about, and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. We're back on Stand Up Speak Up's Finding Shelley DeRoche. It seemed unbelievable. We snooped around in a basement where Shelley's body was rumored to be hidden, and then the possible suspects are running through the street with a wheelbarrow at four in the morning. But it didn't end there. The next day, in the backyard of house number two, a gruesome discovery. Bones. We would have hardly believed it ourselves, except we received pictures from one of our sources. One bone appeared to be a large femur, or what we know as a thigh bone. But whether it belonged to a human or some other animal was not our area of expertise. Carla happened to be at the vet with one of her dogs, so we showed the pictures to the veterinarian for her thoughts. Human femurs yeah. and dog femurs are going to look very similar. Yeah, like you can see, there's a human femur right there. Yes. And dog femur, and they're gonna look the same. Okay, they it's do all look gonna the be, same. Yeah, it's all gonna be size that's different, but the shape of the pelvis in a dog is going to be different than a person. The pelvis that looks more like an animal pelvis. It does. It look does. More, it looks like a dog pelvis. It does. Or that t- a cat's gonna be very similar. Okay, and a cat will be similar. And yeah. The, and the skull. What does a skull look like for an animal? So again, think about the difference in a human skull versus a, a canine skull because they have a snout. Yes. Okay. Yes. So but a, cat, a cat doesn't. Doesn't. That's right. right. So it could look like a cat's. A cat skull could look a little more human. A little bit. It's gonna be tiny. Yeah. You're right. It's gonna be like tiny. Yeah. And the teeth are gonna be completely different. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, we don't have a very good picture of that. Skull, no. So we can't really tell. That's but all he has, but then it's. But it does. I could see why it could look like a cat but then the other stuff looks more like a dog well size wise size wise yeah so could it be a bunch of different animals that are oh sure sure like who knows okay yes so So. if you had the bones 
and I brought them here. If I was able to get hold of some of them, you could tell if it's... A skull, you could. Okay. A pelvis, I could probably tell Make you if it didn't look like it was a human, but you could at least get the sizing of something. Yes. Um, and a femur would be tough, aside from the size, if it looked like this short, it's not yes, a person. that's right. Okay, so it really would have to be like two and a half feet. Simple enough. We only had pictures at this point, not having made it to London to see the bones for ourselves. So clearly an expert needed to take a look at the bones up close, or preferably the police. And we didn't want to bother the London police for no reason. But after speaking with them, they assured us that contacting them to assess the situation was the right thing to do. When I got the call saying there were bones found, my heart sank. I actually was like, oh God, did we did we find her? Like, can there be some peace in that? So I contemplated, do I call Shelly's sister, Laura? Do I talk to her about it? Do I want to get her? I don't want to say the word hopes up, but you know, not that there would be any hope up that she would find Shelly, you know, not, not alive, but that we know what happened. But I decided to, I sent her the same photos that were sent to me and we talked a lot because we were like, should we really go to the police? Cause I don't want to be the person that cries wolf, right? And she said, no, I, I think we got to call them. And so I called actually Mike Arnfield and I said to him, Mike, what do you recommend? Should I involve the police? Am I being ridiculous? I'm not there in London. I can't go look at the bones. It's now eight o'clock at night, right? What do I do? And, and so I sent the photos to him. He said, I can't really tell. I think you have to call the police. So they said, okay, we'll send somebody out. At this point, we should have been closer to an answer on whether or not these bones belonged to a human. However, when the police arrived, the bones were gone. If we didn't have those pictures, I would have just felt ridiculous. We have no way of knowing whether or not we are close to uncovering the truth about Shelley. What we do know is that something isn't right. Even if we consider the most remote possibilities, such as our sources are lying to us or the possible suspects are playing games, there must be a reason for the odd behavior. Our meddling is reportedly causing conflict among some of the parties involved. Combine that with some other evidence that we can't mention for the sake of protecting identities, and this particular theory seems to be the best we have at this time. One possible argument to disprove it is that Shelley's last Facebook post was January 2nd, 2016. However, we do know her phone was found being used by somebody else at another house after she went missing, and Shelley often sold her phone for drug money, so nobody even knows if Shelley herself made that post. Also, their binges can often last for days, so what's being described to us as a New Year's Eve or New Year's night party two years ago could very well have lasted into January 2nd. Also aligning with this possibility are some other rumblings that there could have been an accidental injury or fight at the party, possibly even a drug dealer who got revenge against Shelley for a past incident. So this is one possibility. We do have another, although based on what we know for now, it doesn't seem as likely as the first. Still, this man we'll call A was mentioned quite a bit to us, usually in a negative context. A does know the individuals mentioned previously. However, this is a separate story. A lives nearby where Shelley used to spend time and work. She'd visit his place to get drugs and hang out. The rumor around this one is that Shelley was last spotted going into his place before she disappeared. Despite people telling Carla she shouldn't visit A, 
Her determination to get the story took over, and he agreed to chat. Maybe you can just tell me a little bit of your memories of Shelly. Every day was it? Every day she'd come visit you. Yeah. Wow. Like, so she was that nice of a friend. Yeah. So you must really miss her. I do. Has it been really hard for you? Yeah. So she would come visit you, and you guys would, what would you do together? Nothing. Talk. And do you know, I mean, you were probably one of the, the closest people to Shelly, from what I understand, in that she came here quite often. Was she, was she worried about anyone? No, she had one guy, a black guy, chase her over here on this road a year ago, two years ago. And she chased him out in the road, so I stuck up for her. Did, and what, why was he chasing her? He said he tried to steal, she tried to steal money off of him. Yeah. Do you think that was true? No. You don't think she... Okay, so did Shelly ever confide in you about anybody that was giving her a hard time? Did, did she seem scared at all about anything? No. What do you think happened to Shelly? I don't know. No idea? No. But if you had to guess, what would you think? Somebody... Has her someplace. Somebody has her someplace. Do you think she's dead? I think so. And, I mean, you guys were quite close, so... Do you think that you could get people to confide in you in what happened to her? Do you think... Have you asked anyone? No. Do you feel comfortable asking people? Not really. I have an education problem. I can't read or write. That's okay. You probably have smarts in other ways. Have the police ever interviewed you? No, never. Were you comfortable with the police? Sometimes. Have you had some bad experiences with the police? Assault charges. When did you last see Shelly? I was three years ago. My dad's deceased now. Dad took sip on me three years ago. So when she went missing, you weren't here? I was in Delhi in Port because people thought that she had come here the last 48 hours and been in this, your building with you. Would that have been with someone else that lived here? Yeah. Who would she have been visiting here? Okay, who's I don't know his last name. I know he moved. And was he good friends with Shelly? He was hard on her. Why was he hard on her? He wouldn't let her buy drugs off of him all the time. Okay, so he was a drug dealer. Because they say that she was here you know, 48 hours, so if it wasn't seeing you, it was seeing someone else. Do you think he could have done something to her? I think so. You do? Have you ever seen since? Nope. Not ever since you do. When you heard about Shelly's disappearance, how did you feel? Upset. Found her yet? No. No? No. They haven't found her and they have no idea. How long ago when he moved out? After Shelly's disappearance, was it shortly after, a year after? A year before that. Because I've been here for a year now. Okay, because she went missing last January. Yeah. Not this past January, the January before. So was <laughs> living here at that time? No, he was down here. Okay, so she went missing that January. The last time her sister spoke to her was New Year's Eve. Do you remember what you were doing New Year's Eve? What were you doing this past New Year's Eve? I stayed home. What about the year before? The year before, I would have with my cousin. So you were living here then? And do you remember maybe seeing Shelly that week? Would you remember if you did see her? 
Do you want to talk about Shelly? No. Because I can tell you're uncomfortable and you're a little nervous. And, and I don't want to make you nervous. Now, how come you never learned to read and write? What, what, what was your childhood like? Shitty. Shitty? Okay, well, tell me about it. What? I mean, you have, like, beautiful blue eyes and you seem gentle to me, but, y you know, they say sometimes you can get aggressive or violent, but I don't. So what, what gets you so angry? When people start putting me down on my education and stuff. Well, there's not much to go by, but you may have noticed A tells us he wasn't here around the time Shelley went missing. A few minutes later, says he was. He also suggests maybe Shelley visited another man next door instead of him. In an unheard part of the conversation, A mentions that he'd like some pictures of Shelley. So on the next trip to London, Carla brought him some. He allowed her to chat again for a few minutes, but nothing significant came from it. Could he be responsible or know what happened? As we keep saying, anything's possible, but aside from some people saying they don't like A or he has a temper, we haven't heard anything to suggest he could be responsible. But there definitely were some inconsistencies when he spoke with us. Take that for what you will. After spending countless hours in London, then many more behind the scenes, pouring over transcripts and communicating with our sources, this is what we have so far. If we've learned anything from the experience, it's that, in an instant, we could be heading down a completely different path. But for now, this is as close as we've come to finding Shelley DeRocher. And we have no plans to stop. Stay tuned. For your bonus content today, Carla speaks more about paranoia and strange behavior among the possible suspects. Do you have any thoughts on the case? Is there something we're missing? Where should we look next? Please visit our new Facebook page, Stand Up Speak Up by Toki, and let us know what you thought of this episode. Stand Up Speak Up's Finding Shelley DeRocher, produced by Carla Stevens Tolstoy, edited, co-produced, and narrated by Joel at East Coast Radio Creative. Special thanks to Chris Williams of Canadian Private Investigation Services, Mike Earnfield, Randy Richmond of the London Free Press, all other guests and those who contributed, including Shelley's family, friends, and people we met in London. And of course, thank you for listening. To leave a review, comment, or suggest a topic for Stand Up Speak Up, visit StandUpSpeakUpToki.com.
more of the chat with Carla. It's interesting because like we said, with all the help that you've been getting, they all seem willing to find out, or want to find out what happened to Shelly and do whatever it takes. But then some of these characters that we've named as possible suspects in this first scenario, you're not getting that reaction from them. You're getting this where they won't come to the door or they, you know, they're, they're being suspicious. They don't want to talk to you. So, you know, what does that say? Well, you know, what I find what's even more interesting is that how many of some of the people we have as suspects are trying to always misdirect me and, you know, feed me false information and trying to get me looking in a different direction. So that's been challenging because it really is a web of lies in many ways and it's trying to figure out where does the truth lie. I mean, so everything you hear, you have to get multiple sources to back it up because you don't know if they're leading you down a path because they're trying to set you up to focus on someone else and not focus on them. So I I feel like sometimes I'm getting hustled and I think I'm starting to learn when I'm getting hustled. So at least that's some progress. It seems like they're, they feel like they're being backed into a corner for some reason or another. And it's just so odd because even when you first communicated all this to me, I even thought, this sounds like 
it's made up. How are we going to even put this in the podcast and, and you know, make it believable? We're looking in a basement and all of a sudden we have wheelbarrows and bones showing up in yards. I mean, you couldn't write a better TV show. And here it had happened. And I think what what I'm seeing is a lot of paranoia now in the subculture of that area. As I say, my theory is it was definitely more than one to two people and they're all trying to figure a way to wash their hands from it and blame it on the other person. So it's, I think they're kind of all running in circles right now, trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. What I've just tried to do is just focus on the same names that keep coming up and trying to piece a story together and re-listening to interviews. I mean, because for me, I just, I just feel like somehow I'm, I'm supposed to see this through. I, I don't know. It's like a driving force. You know, I, I don't really have the experience, but I just, I just keep pushing, pushing forward. And since we started this, we've heard so many different theories, possibilities that may have happened. I mean, in the beginning, especially, it literally could have been anything. anything. You know, like we, yes. we said a, a bad date and she could be many, many miles away. But now to kind of have pried in here a little bit into a couple of homes that we were directed to and then to have the whole the wheelbarrow thing. And it just all seems so strange, like something has to be going on to be drawing this reaction, whether those people are responsible or not. Why are that? Why is this happening? That's right, because we started off with seven potential theories. And I think we've narrowed it down to one really strong one. And it could take time, but I think that this can be solved. Thanks for listening to Stand Up, Speak Up. We'll see you next time. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.